calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 159. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the show, God. I hunt down human beings to bring them back to justice. No, no, that's Dog, the bounty hunter. Have I told you lately? <laughs> no, that's Rod, the bounty hunter. God, G-O-D, the creator, what Paul Tillich describes as the fundamental symbol of humankind's ultimate concern. The buff old white guy who lives in the clouds, the magical old black woman who lives in a country shack surrounded by corn, the swarthy Latino man with the wings of an eagle and a boomerang made of pure silver. Yes, interpretations vary a little bit, come on. Now, I know some of you out there right now are probably all like, but Norm, I don't believe in God. Well, then, just pretend I'm talking about 80s high-tech crime-fighting vigilante Knight Rider. <laughs> and the hell if that doesn't get you pumped, huh? Everybody believes in Knight Rider. So, a lot of the time, I find that the subjects and science news we cover in our Drabble News segment reinforces teleological arguments for there being some sort of designer with a capital D. I mean, think about all the crazy-ass Rube Goldberg parasites out there we've covered, with insanely complex life cycles that go through four or five hosts till they eventually land on their target host. Think about the thousands of millions of cells in the brain, knit together in a fashion that actually works. Until, of course, they're blown out of the pig's skull by high-pressure machinery, casually inhaled and critically disruptive to the nervous systems of disgruntled pig disassembly line workers at some Midwestern spam factory. Ugh, speaking of great mysteries in the universe, spam. What in the hell is it? Why do we have spam factories? Why do we design intricate systems and machinery to efficiently and cost-effectively produce it? Disgusting, viscous bricks of cold, pink mystery meat, quivering and encased in a thin layer of semi-translucent jelly. 
All because at some point some twisted bastard out there apparently just thought spam needed to be around. Now, mind you, the teleological argument from design does nothing to say if God is omnipotent, or all-knowing, or perfect, or benevolent, or even interested in us anymore. Maybe he's playing bejeweled on his iPhone and forgot about us. Maybe he's on leave of absence for inhaling aerosolized pig brains. And meanwhile, here we all are, peering at this strange world around us through thin layers of gelatinous preservative, at our grotesque, pink and trembling hands, crying to the heavens, Sweet Mary, Mother of Night Rider, what in the hell am I? And then we'd look at our sticky, glutinous brethren, clumped in meaty wads all down the assembly line, and we argue and fight with each other, trying to explain things, explain the factory, explain why some of us are made mostly of horse spleen and others are a mix of pork and beef and egret, explain why we are here. And the universe's cold reply? after scratching its balding, downy head for a while. Well, like Spam, apparently some twisted bastard out there just thought that you needed to be around. And so we sulk, and we wait in silence, listening for faint, barely audible sounds in the void. Seven trumpets sounding in the distance like softly rolling thunder. The flapping of majestic wings. The whoosh of a silver boomerang. Time for a drabble. Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called The Zoo, and it comes to us from Douglas Cruz. Doug is a software engineer living with one wife, two kids, two dogs, two cats in Southern California. His only previous published work so far has been outraged rants to the local newspaper, which embarrass his wife, and various articles in the student-run humor rag at college, which he desperately hopes his children will never find. I took my girlfriend to the zoo. We're looking at the monkeys, frolicking in their enclosure, and she wonders if they realize they're in a zoo. Can they even understand the concept? I tell her I don't know, but if they're getting fed regularly and kept away from predators, does it really matter? Maybe they're even better off. She disagrees. She can't understand why this doesn't bother me, and I can't see why it's such a big deal. We argue all the way out to the parking lot. Then, I notice a section of the sky being removed for maintenance.
Our feature story this week is called Intelligent Design by Ellen Cladges. Ellen is the author of two acclaimed young adult novels, The Green Glass Sea, which won the Scott O'Dell Award and the New Mexico Book Award and the Lopez Award, and White Sands, Red Menace, which won the California and New Mexico Book Awards. Her short stories have been published in eight countries and have been nominated for the Nebula Award, the Hugo, World Fantasy, and Campbell Awards. Her story, Basement Magic, won a Nebula in 2005. She lives in San Francisco in a small house full of strange and wondrous things. Her website is www.ellenclagis.com, which you'll see in our show notes. This story first appeared in Strange Horizons back in December of 2005. So, without further ado, Intelligent Design by Ellen Clagis. If one could conclude as to the nature of the Creator from a study of creation, it would appear that God has an inordinate fondness for stars and beetles. J.B.S. Haldane, 1951 God cocked his thumb and aimed his index finger at the firmament. Kapow! Pow! Pow! A line of three perfect glowing pinpoints of light appeared in the black void. He squeezed his eyes almost shut and let off a single shot. Ping! The pinprick of light at the far edge of the firmament, just where it touched the rim of the earth, glowed faintly red. God got bored. He peppered one corner of the sky with tiny specks of light clustered tight together. Each one glowed steadily. God lay down on his back and looked up at what he'd created. It was okay. He blinked. The lights flickered in and out. He blinked again. Flicker. 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 God lay on his back and thought hard for a tiny bit of time, then stopped blinking. The lights continued to shimmer and twinkle up in the firmament. God smiled. That was better. God's grandmother, she who was before the before, she who created dust out of nothing and the universe out of dust, sculptor of the clay of the world, creator and destroyer, was baking. She peered through the thickening mist that separated that which is from that which is becoming, and sighed. God? she called out. Don't you think that's enough of those? She'd thought the night should remain in darkness. It was getting quite light in the firmament. Oh, just a couple more, God said. All right, but only a few. Then I need you to come in and help with the animals. Nanadeus rolled out a sheet of clay while she waited for God to come in out of the void. Now that there was fire, there was much to be done. Systems and cycles and chains of being set in place, and the oceans, which had turned out to be a little tricky. The waters had been gathered together, separated from the dry land, and that was fine, but they weren't moving. They just lay there, wet and placid and still. She'd gone out and shifted them back and forth, and they did move, but then they slowed down and lay still again, and that just wouldn't do. They had to keep moving, and she didn't have the time to go out and shake them twice a day. Besides, they were too heavy for her to be lifting all the time. Maybe she'd made the deep too deep. 
Where was God? If he could help make some of the simpler creatures, she'd have time to deal with the oceans. God lay on the earth, watching the twinkling stars, spraying random corners of the firmament with his outstretched finger, filling in the parts that seemed a little empty. Pow, 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 ka-pow. Oops. He pursed his lips and drew in a breath, sucking a bit of light from that spot, then another and another, until there were a few holes in the midst of the stars, blacker than the black of the void. He sat up and examined a small, muddy pebble clinging to his right knee. He put it on the palm of his hand and flicked it with his first finger, as hard as he could. The pebble shot far up into the firmament. God waited for it to fall down again, but it didn't. It wobbled a little and then just hung there. God made a sound with his lips and the pebble began to glow with a bright white light. He grinned and reached for another pebble. God, I need you now, called Nanadeus. God dropped the pebble and went in. What are you making? Can I help? Nanadeus smiled and rumpled his hair. Yes, you can. You can be a big help right now. Watch what I do. She pulled a tray of tiny brown ovals from the oven. You need to decorate them while they're still soft, she said, putting one on the counter. She reached into one of the bins that lined the counter. Legs, said one. Wings, antenna. She stretched the oval a little, adding two hair-like feelers and six legs, daubed it with a bit of green pigment, and added two multicolored wings. She held out her palm. The little bug was perfect in every detail, except it was just clay. Its tiny eyes were blank and featureless, and it lay still. Pay attention, she said. This is important. She picked up another soft, baked lump and added identical legs and antenna and wings, stretching it in the same way. You have to make two of each. They can be different colors if you want, but the very same creature. Okay, God? He nodded slowly, his eyes wide and curious. Good. Now watch. She pinched a bit of bluish, sparkling dust from a stone vat on the counter and sprinkled it over the dark shapes. This is the fun part. She leaned over the clay figures and breathed on them gently. Butterfly, she said. The butterfly's wings quivered, then slowly beat together and out again. They flew onto the edge of the tray, to God's shoulder, and out into the void. Wow! God clapped his hands in delight. Can I try? His grandmother scooped two clay dots from the tray. God stuck his tongue in the corner of his mouth and very carefully put five tiny legs into the warm clay. Can I make them red? He asked. <laughs> yes, laughed Nanadeus. We'll need a lot of insects and you can decorate them in any colors you want. Do try for symmetry though, won't you dear? God nodded solemnly and added a sixth leg and two little wings. He painted the round bugs bright red, and after a moment's thought, added some tiny black spots. He held them out to Nanadeus. Very nice, she said, and sprinkled and blew onto them. Ladybug, she said, and they flew away. What other kind of bugs can I make? God asked. Well, use your imagination, she said. 
Just don't get carried away. Keep them small. Yay, said God. But she held up her finger in warning. Remember, only two of each kind. They'll make more themselves. Okay, said God. He made two red ants and two tiny green aphids and a pair of flies with fuzzy flocked legs. Nanadeus had just breathed into the second fly when there was a shudder and then silence. Oh, God, the seas have stopped, she sighed. Will you be all right by yourself? I need to start them up again. He nodded. I like making bugs, he said. I thought you might. Nanadeus smiled. Have fun, but don't sprinkle them. We'll name them all when I come back. She patted him on the cheek and went out to deal with still waters. God made two brown ants and a different kind of aphid. Then he looked to make certain that his grandmother was gone and opened all the other bins. Bangs, pinchers, horns, armor, stingers. Cool, said God. He took one of the larger mounds and outfitted it with fierce claws and a long, fuzzy antenna, painting it bright, bright green. Then he made three hundred dozen more, each more fearsome and garish than the last. Horns, claws, stripes and spots, bristling legs and armored carapaces blazed in every iridescent hue. Bugs everywhere. God wanted to make even more, but he'd run out of counter space. Where could he move them to? Move. God looked at the vat of shimmering dust. Nanadeus had said to wait for her, but... He took a handful of the dust and flung it over the trays of inanimate insects. Well, said Nanadeus from out in the void, that was easier than I'd feared. Her voice was small and distant. The rock you put up there really did the trick. Moon, tides. Now, why didn't I think of that ages ago? She was getting closer. God could hear her sensible shoes tramping across the face of the earth. He looked at the shimmering trays of bugs and blew hard over all of them at once. God whispered as fast as he could. Scarab, 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 weevil, tiger beetle, leaf beetle, weevil, 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 click beetle, harlequin, palm borer, leaf miner, firefly, weevil, 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 jewel beetle, blister beetle, bark beetle, flower beetle, stag beetle, potato beetle, stink beetle. God, how are you coming with those insects? Nenadeus asked from just beyond. God looked over his shoulder, then quickly back at the last pair of unmoving creatures on the tray. Dung beetle, he said with a grin. And it was so. Then he leaned back and began to whistle as if he hadn't done anything at all. Creeping things covered every surface, legs and claws and pinchers scuttling and skittering. God saw them all and smiled. They were good. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Hit some listener story feedback real quick for episode 155 a couple weeks ago. The Second Conquest of Earth by L.J. Daly. Hey, people seem to really like this one. Chicago Mike said, This episode was amazing all the way through. 
giant prehistoric snakes eating giant prehistoric reptiles? Does it get any more awesome? Victory was a quintessential drabble with an ominous opening leading to an absurd twist, and the second conquest was eerily compelling. I especially liked how Daly used repetition, what has she told me, to structure the story. Swamp said, this story was great. I like how the three different stories were told in one narrative, the card reader's past story, the Coos's past story, and their present encounter. Daly pulled it all together at the perfect pace and flow. And J. Ronald Lee said, I know I'm late on my comments for this episode, but I have to say that it was one of my favorites in a very, very long time. I enjoy my science fiction served up with a large plate of dread. The foreboding tone, the misplaced foreshadowing, and the way our hero used her skills to stay involved in her mortal coil, if only for a bit longer, all came together for me in a short time. It's a story that, if it were the first chapter of a book, I would stay up all night reading to learn what happened. Cool. Glad that one was a hit. Don't be a stranger. Join the forums and tell us what you thought of this week's story. And on your way out, try writing a story in only 100 characters and post it in the TwitFix section of our forums. You may be next week's winner. Like Fiverr was. Last week's winner, I mean. And here's her story. He snatched the basket from the rabbit's paw. You get it back when you can actually lay eggs, said the Easter platypus. Oh, burn. Hey, kick-ass donor of the week this week is... Mark Zanferdino. Mark's a software engineer developing emergency alerting solutions on Linux platforms for the masses. He's an avid podcast fan and has a broad range of interests from diving to cooking to politics to science fiction to horror. He moved with his wife, Kelly, cat Ivan the Terrible, and dog, Dante, to the San Francisco East Bay from San Diego three years ago. And when he's not tickling bits or listening to the Drabblecast, he likes to ride his Harley with his wife, exploring the back roads and little towns along the Sacramento River Delta. Wow, sounds awesome. I want to be Mark when I grow up. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate your fiscal buoyance. You there, are you a fan of the Drabblecast? Did you like this week's story? What would Knight Rider do? I'll tell you what he'd do. He'd donate to us via the support options off of our main page, drabblecast.org, so that we can pay our authors for their work, license music, handle overhead, stuff like that, you know? Gotta keep this mother going. Many thanks if you do. So, that's our show. The Drabblecast is, of course, produced under Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it or sell it, just share it all you like. Special thanks to this week's episode artist, Brent Holmes. You the man, Brent. Thanks for making us look good this week. And we'll see all you weirdos next week. Until then, our staff has made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to just make two.
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.